passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So knowing the value and the prestige and the legacy of these tag titles, you're just going to go ahead and hand it over to SpongeBob and Patrick, Rand and Stimpy, Beavis and Butthead. Damn. Either way it goes, Shane. Put the, put the SmackDown tag titles on the line one more time so SmackDown Live can get locked down. Oh, stop! As if they don't have too much on their plates. The Kings of Combat Sports Podcast, John and Wade. They talk about the things they did that day. They'll analyze the work of Vince and Triple H. Rewind to SmackDown. Rewind to SmackDown. Rewind to SmackDown. Welcome, everybody, to Rewind a Smackdown. My name is Waiting. John Pollock is at home enjoying a much-deserved break. And the wild card rule continues here at Post Wrestling. Joining me from the Rocky Maivia Picture Show, Nate Milton. How you doing, Nate? You know, Way, what we needed was a suit of armor around the WWE. Remember that? Whether it impacted our precious podcast or not, that's what we needed, Way. And I said we'd lose if we reviewed SmackDown. You said we'll do that together. Well, guess what, Way? You and John weren't there. But that's what we do, right? That's what we do. This is rewind <laughs> a SmackDown, not pre-wind a SmackDown, huh? How many times have you watched Endgame? Only twice, point? but I feel like twice was like twice was a, a, an experience in and of itself, Way. Well, you must have quite the memory because that was, I would say, a pretty much a verbatim uh, recollection of, of, of that wonderful speech from Tony Stark. But oh, um, can, can we just give Robert... I know they don't really give best acting Oscars to people in, in superhero movies way, but, but I feel like he should at least get a nomination for this. I know Marvel's like trying to campaign for it. I mean, if there's any year that I feel um, they would be in any type of discussion, it might be this year. Um, do you think it's possible? I don't think he'd win, but I, I certainly would say, you know, give the man a nomination for no, if for nothing else for the fact of, you know, this is a guy that has built this juggernaut that is on its way to having, you know, this, this 22nd film in the series become the highest grossing picture of all time. And, and, and this wouldn't exist if it wasn't for this dude. And he turned in one of his best performances in this last movie. Mm-hmm. I think it would be, you know, an acknowledgement, certainly from the Academy about the success of these superhero films, which, you know, they haven't really been doing throughout the history of these superhero films. Um, so, it, it, but, you know, seeing the records, I think even like the most critical critic of like these types of movies has to give it some respect and whether or not that comes in the form of a 
best Oscar nom or, or, or best picture nom even for uh, something like the uh, like Endgame, it I would say this is the best chance it, it perhaps has of any of the movies. I'd love to see it, man. Like I I watched it and I immediately I did something I never do wait. You know, I, I actually, you know, recorded a review that night. And mm-hmm. I, you know, like I, I go on and watch, you know, uh whether it's uh Blind Wave or or uh, you know, uh what's what's her name? Grace Randolph. She has great kind of reaction uh videos yeah, uh, online great. or uh, married to the real, but but i I like watch these all the time. And I'm like, oh, that's that's really cool. I like how people are so excited. And I I was so excited after Endgame that you know somebody hit me up online like, hey, are you gonna do a review of this? And I'm like, well, since you mentioned it, I'll, I'll turn on my camera right now and, and talk about this thing. So yeah, I hope it makes all the money in the world and gets all the all the praise because for like it's not a perfect movie, but you have to look at how this film and this franchise has kind of changed modern cinema and 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 genre storytelling and i think you know you got to give it his props i don't know what people first of all uh, nate where can people get your thoughts on on uh from from endgame from that video ah you can get it at the kings of sport patreon and and uh it's patreon.com backslash the kings of sport the endgame review is free uh like i mentioned on the uh, impact wrestling rebellion review uh so you can check out my thoughts on endgame uh, for free right now, and if you like it, you know, consider becoming a patron of of Marcus Vanderberg and myself over at the Kings of Sport. Wonderful. But um, back to your point. Thank you for the plug, Nate. Uh, I, you know, I don't know what people are really expecting when they say this is not a perfect movie. I don't think it's supposed to be a perfect movie, really, because so much of it hinges on what came before. Mm. Um, and and I think just the daunting task of trying to make reference to so much while also having a coherent storyline that wraps up this, the movie that you're coming afterwards. Just, I feel like it's impossible to like be able to satisfy really everybody coming into this with what is considered a perfect movie. Whereas if you're the first of a franchise, um, it, it you just kind of have a much more open slate to just, you know, tell a satisfying beginning, middle and end within an hour and a half or two hours or three hours. Series finales are tough, whether you're talking TV or movies, and and some of the best shows, like some of the shows with the best writing, haven't even been able to pull that off. You know, I'm thinking about Seinfeld, you know, one of the most acclaimed comedies in the history of television, and it had a lackluster finale. The Sopranos had a finale that a lot of people, you know, weren't really feeling, and so to have all these moving parts with Endgame and have all these characters you have to give moments to, and not only that, but also tell a story that wraps up 11 years worth of films. I thought they did a pretty good job, man. I, th- I thought I had my expectations going in and it was totally different than what I expected, but more than I could have imagined. So I give them all the credit in the world. If you enjoy this conversation, uh, I will actually be joined by a fellow friend of ours, Brent Chittenden, uh, yes. on this Thursday's Cafe Hangout. And we'll be doing an all-MCU edition of the Cafe Hangout while John Pollock is away. So we'll be taking your calls about the MCU, discussing the MCU as a whole. Uh, it would be awesome if Nate Milton can join us. But if not, um, hopefully um, you can get enough of his thoughts through his shows as well. And uh, before we go on, uh, a bit of the scheduling for people who missed out yesterday. John Pollock returns from a brief, brief, brief staycation uh, tomorrow with me on the Double Shot. We'll be talking about the Dark Side of the Ring series, this one covering Gino Hernandez. 
On Thursday, our friends Davey and Braden will be back with Up Next on their feed, talking about this week's NXT. Uh, also on Thursday, as I mentioned, the all-MCU edition of The Hangout with Brent Chittenden. That's available live for Double Double Plus patrons, and it's available for free in our archives on Friday. Uh, Friday, as well, on our Post Wrestling Cafe feed, Ask Away with me and John. Uh, we're probably going about an hour and a half for this one, talking about every single question that you have to ask us. Saturday, John is back with WH for Post Pro Rest. And Sunday, John is back uh, with the UFC 237 Post Show. So with all that out of the way, Nate, uh, let's kind of get into some of the uh, the current topics uh, going on. And I wanted to specifically ask you about this. Uh, we didn't have a chance to get you on last night, but I wanted to get some of your reaction to the news of the XFL getting their uh, TV deals uh, as the king of sport that you are. <laughs> I, th- I think it's a huge deal. For the XFL, it is a better deal than I think anybody expected. Uh, When they first announced the deal for Fox and SmackDown, I always had the thought in the back of my mind way that this was not just a wrestling thing they were buying, Uh, that they weren't putting all that money on the table specifically just for SmackDown, but that there was some talk behind the scenes about the XFL because it just made sense from a Fox standpoint in terms of content for the network. But the thing that shocked me was ABC and ESPN. Like when you get the mouse involved, you know, we just talked about Marvel. When you get the mouse involved, that's a big deal. And so I think from a broadcasting standpoint, they're they're in a better position than they could have ever imagined. The question still remains, though, is there an appetite for out-of-season football? And to this point, whether you're talking about the original XFL or the uh, AAF, which just folded, I don't know. Like, the question has not been answered. If the American public has an appetite for football that's not the NFL. It's a question that I think um, will have to, will be interesting to study over the course of three years, because that seems to be the reported length of this deal. Yeah. And it's a really interesting one, because uh, as of now, it's, the the networks are putting up all the money for the production themselves. So the WWE does not have to, uh, or sorry, the XFL, there's completely separate co- companies, everybody. <laughs> the XFL does not, and Vince does not have to uh, put that money up themselves. Um, but the income that they are getting is through uh, um, the gate, uh, through sponsorships. And that's certainly not going to be enough to run an entire football league with all the contracts and, and, and salaries that they have. So yeah. we're looking at... Uh, uh, probably a lot of uh, a financial loss for Vince McMahon throughout these three years, but he's probably hedging on the idea that people and especially TV networks will want to pay for rights fees after the, this three-year deal. How do you see that working out for him? It's going to be interesting because part of the reason, actually the main reason that the AAF sank is the capital. They just didn't have the capital. And so, you know, Vince has already put $250 million in. He'll probably have to put in another two, $300 million just to, you know, keep this thing going. I predicted that, you know, before hearing about the TV deals, I said that, you know, they last a year, maybe two. But now hearing this, I'm like, okay, they're on a little bit more solid footing. The question is the audience. And so I think from the network's perspective, it's a sweetheart deal because, Yes, having SmackDown on Fox, that's that's a cool thing, I guess. But as you know, Way, one of the big issues even in 2019 with pro wrestling is you're not going to attract the best advertisers. And football, even if it's not the NFL, 
can attract a higher class of advertiser than wrestling still at this point. So I think Fox is going to be happy. ESPN's probably going to be happy. Uh, they might not do blow away ratings, but I think they'll have enough momentum, particularly after that first week, that this is something that can be sustained. The question is, how much money does Vince want to throw down to make this a viable product, to make this a viable alternative? And one of the interesting things that I heard about this was from my Kings of Sport partner, Marcus Vandenberg. And he said, maybe the way that they make this work, maybe the way that they make this more than a fly-by-night organization is for Vince to swallow his pride and make this kind of the official feeder system for the NFL. You know, almost have like a minor league partnership with the NFL because then that way you're guaranteed a little bit more stability. Uh, But, you know, knowing Vince's personality, I don't know if he would – you know, swallow his pride to that point. But it's an interesting thing to think about because I, I do think it would it would fill a need that is currently out there in, in terms of professional football. Like if you're a player that's good enough to be a pro but not good enough to be the NFL, your options are kind of limited right now. So having a mon- dedicated minor league system would be a really good thing, I think, for the NFL and for a lot of these college players. How do you feel about the uh, schedule itself starting a week after the Super Bowl and concluding in, on April 26th? It's a pretty shrewd schedule because, you know, you still got that, you know, appetite for football, I guess, after the Super Bowl. And then you conclude right around the time of the NFL draft. And if they're smart, maybe they even I, I don't know if, they, if they've already announced where the championship game is going to be played, but the NFL draft is going to be in Vegas. And maybe they do something that's almost like an inverse of what smaller companies do during WrestleMania week, where you'll see all these shows that kind of siphon off the fan base that's in town to watch WrestleMania. Maybe they do something where their championship game is held the week of the NFL draft. So they get all these fans that are in town to see the draft. They might pique some interest and and maybe pick off a couple fans here or there to come attend this championship game and, and kind of piggyback off of, the enthusiasm that's going to be in Las Vegas for the NFL and for football in general. That'd be such a weird role reversal for Vince. Yes. Suddenly book, you know, being the ones to book MSG uh, outside, outside of him. (laughs) Wow. Vince turns into Vince turns into AEW now. Damn. Well, it's a very big story that I'm sure uh, you and Marcus will be talking a lot about on the Kings of sport. Um, Let's move on with some of the other news from uh, Tuesday. Uh, so the raw rating came in. This was, I think, one that everybody was very curious with. Uh, first of all, coming off of um, uh, the, the terrible rating last week and wanting to see if all the uh, uh, Band-Aid solutions that were introduced yesterday were effective. And so the rating has come out. Uh, the WWE was able to offset their week-to-week declines with a modest 4% increase for Monday's episode of Raw on the USA Network. This number is still their second lowest viewership of 2019, and this comes with average an average of 2,244,000 viewers, opening with the first hour at 2.47 million, second hour dropping to 2.24 million, and the final hour with our main event of Kofi Kingston versus Daniel Bryan uh, dipping to 2.02 million viewers. So uh, the silver lining is that the increase comes against stiff competition from the NBA playoffs, and... If you compare this episode of Raw to the same week in 2018, this episode happened to be down 16.5%. So, you know, at least it seems that, like, they've stopped the bleeding um, and they're not sinking deeper than what they sank to before. I think the real test will be to see numbers 
next week and the week after that to see if it's a trend. And I think, and, and it's not an original thought by me, but <laughs> I'm going to echo people who are much more uh, learned about this stuff than I am, Way, You can't program for the short term. You know, the, the biggest way to increase these ratings and have them grow over time is just by putting out a better product. And that's not something that happens in a one-week fix or a two-week fix or just having Roman Reigns show up whenever you need him because I hate to say it because I, I am a big fan of Roman Reigns and Joe the Man, but he is a star to a certain extent, but he's not The Rock. He's not John Cena. You know, he's not even a Ronda Rousey, somebody who could maybe bring in new eyeballs to the table. And so you got to figure out a way to play with the cards that you're dealt right now if you're the WWE because you don't have that transcendent superstar on the roster. So tell good stories. Invigorate your fan base. Like every week after Raw in particular, if you go on social media, if you listen to podcasts or, or you know hear reviews of the show, it's just negative. And these are from the people that watch you each week in and week out. And so if you put together a better show, have a better attitude around your product, maybe that'll entice people who used to watch or who used to be wrestling fans to come and check out your program. But it, it's not, you know, this wild card thing that, that they've instituted this week. Yeah, it might be cool for a week or two or a month, but it's not going to be the solution. And so if you keep trying to chase this rating, you fall into that WCW trap that Brian and I talked about so much on Keep It 2000 where, yeah, this is a big moment or this is a big show or you did a decent rating, but ultimately what does it mean because you can't sustain it? Sean Rossap at Fightful reports that lead home writer for Raw, Ryan Callahan, was let go by the WWE recently. Callahan had held the role since December of 2016, and he was also on staff for a year or so prior to that. Uh, Fightful's report also states that he was not let go because of recent ratings declines, but because of internal conflict with writer Dave Kapoor. Mm. So this comes... Uh, I mean, I feel like the turnaround for uh, WWE writers is always uh, quite frequent, but um, we're hearing about them a lot more publicly yeah. lately. Than ever, so this comes across, of course, uh, off of a uh, uh, Road Dog, R.D. Evans, and and other names that have recently left the writing department. So we shall uh, see if that takes any noticeable effect. New Japan has announced their uh, best of the Super Juniors blocks. On the A block, you have Dragon Lee, Taiji Ishimori, Marty Scurll, Shingo Takagi, Sho, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, Jonathan Gresham, Teton, Tiger Mask, and Taka Michinoku. In your B block, you have Will Ospreay, Bandito, Al Fantasmo, Flip Gordon, Ryusuke Taguchi, Yo, El Desperado, Robbie Eagles, Rocky Romero, and Bushi. So, really stacked. Uh, um, Best of the Super Juniors in general, but I would certainly say the advantage goes to A Block. Uh, are Will you be following it all, Nate? I will be, but in typical fashion of how I uh, follow New Japan, it'll probably be, you know, a week or a month behind. Mm -hmm. And that's just because it's not, you know, an indictment on the product because there's some really talented guys in the company and they put on some fantastic matches. I just have so much on my plate way that... New Japan is something I can get to because I know it'll be there, you know, mm -hmm. and it's something I can go back and check out a month later. And it's not so storyline dependent that the matches, you know, become outdated. You know, it's, the matches are so good that they'll last. The, the expiration date on New Japan, I feel, is uh, 
far longer than, say, an episode of Raw. Yeah, yeah. With, like, so many matches, and you know how all of them are... are the, the vast majority of them are going to be so good. I mean, you're really kind of forcing your audience to pick and choose, and I... I, I, I totally understand if you if most people wouldn't really have the time for it. But if you want to know the full cards, you can go to postwrestling.com. John uh, has written them all out on our website. They also announced Jay White versus uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi at Sumo Hall for the finals uh, on June 5th. New Japan also confirmed several title matches for Dominion four days after the finals on June 9th. And of course, that would be Chris Jericho versus Okada for the IWGP title in the main event. Uh, Kota Ibushi defends the Intercontinental title against Tetsuya Naito. And they also made Tai Chi versus Tomohiro Ishii official for the Never Championship. Uh, one more bit of news before we go. The Von Eriks. Um, the the current ger- generation of the Von Eriks, Ross and Marshall, who uh, a lot of people might have seen last week uh, on the Dark Side of the Ring special. They are the sons of Kevin Von Erich. And MLW recently, today, announced their signing. So... Uh, we are told that these talks of signing the Von Erichs to MLW have been going on since early January, and we're not the result of anything regarding the Viceland special. It just happened to coincide with this uh, same time. And um, MLW currently has no plans scheduled for running a show in Texas, but they hope to run there in 2020. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a really good pickup. Like, I've always been a fan of the younger Von Erichs. Uh, I had a chance to talk to him. I want to say, I want to say about three or four years ago, whenever it was, you know, that they did the deal at Slammiversary with Kevin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a chance to talk to them and just humble dudes. And and you know, you and John talked about the documentary, like with so much tragedy that that family has seen. Like I, I hope the best for them, man, because I I think they're really good guys, and and Kevin's raised them right. So uh, you know, it's it's good to hear some happy news about Devon Eriks. They seem incredibly proud of their name and yes. and their father. So I think, I mean, how, how, did you get a chance of like to see their promo? Do you have any idea how what you know any assessment of like what they might be like in ring? I think they're they're really good in ring. Uh, promo stuff is something that you know they they might need to work on a little bit, but that's something that that can be taught. Um, the in ring stuff is is solid. Uh, they're they're kind of a classic old school tag team. I. I thought they did a good job at that Slammiversary and some of the other stuff I've seen online. Uh, they, they seem to be a really good young team with a lot of promise. And I'm glad MLW has signed them, but it actually kind of surprises me why they wouldn't have been signed by somebody earlier, man. Because just off of the nostalgia of the name alone and the fact that these kids can go in the ring, like I, I would have, had, had I been in charge of a company, uh, they would have they been signed by my company. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, certainly, if you look at that roster, it, I mean, like, I think immediately the match that really stands out potentially is a Hart Foundation versus yep. Von Erichs match, which probably would, would do really well for MLW. Uh, and one last bit of note, um, our friend Damian Abraham, many of you have heard us talk about his show on Vice called The Wrestlers. It finally has an air date. And joining me later will be Damian Abraham to chat all about it, but uh, it'll come right off the heels of Dark Side of the Ring and airing on Viceland on May 22nd at 10 o'clock Eastern. So uh, after the success of Dark Side of the Ring, I guess Vice saw, hey, we happen to have this Canadian dude who made this wrestling show that we haven't aired anywhere yet. Uh, Maybe we should air this as well. So Damian will be joining me later to uh, discuss all about this. Uh, He's very happy that it's finally got a date. So uh, watch for that on Vice and on online, I suppose. 
Yes, very, very happy for Brother Damien. I'm looking forward to seeing the show, and uh, uh, in particular when, when he talks to MVP, because just those two dudes talking should be uh, quality entertainment. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get into SmackDown. This comes to us from maybe the best of the arenas, Nate, the KFC Yum Center <laughs> in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, you, you like that better than your uh, Smoothie King Center? You know, I'm a big fan of both, um, smoothies and uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Um, I got to go with the KFC Yum if I had to pick between the two. AJ Styles from Raw starts us off. He comes out here. He says he's missed the SmackDown crowd. And I don't know if I completely caught it here. Did he say that it's four wrestlers that it, that were eligible each week for the wild card? Is that what he said? <sighs> It's it's funny because I like I don't even know way after two nights of this because originally didn't Vince say just three? He originally said three. That's what he announced in front of the crowd. And then the segment with Lars basically seemed to suggest that he Lars for whatever reason really wanted four wrestlers every single week to go from Raw and SmackDown. So Vince seemed to officially state that it was four. And it kind of I get I, I'm kind of confirmed with with I re- received confirmation from that kind of from their YouTube video. Um, and the YouTube video was like Lars Sullivan, uh, makes Vince McMahon, uh, expand the, the wild card, by the way, by the way, uh, uh, we should note that the WWE has stopped putting up YouTube highlights, um, concurrently with their shows. I'm, I have yet to, I believe they put them out afterwards, but they stopped doing that because they feel it might be taken away from their ratings. So we'll see if it helps, but, um, four, it's four or five. After watching this show, because <laughs> I still can't tell. So uh, AJ says, if wrestlers are going to jump from brand to brand, he's definitely going to be the first to come back to SmackDown. And out comes also from Raw, Sami Zayn, uh, who's alive. And um, you saw last last night, Nate. Uh, last we saw Sami Zayn, he was thrown into a dumpster that happened to be thrown into the back of a trash compactor. And uh, we're left with the assumption that he might be dead. Instead, here he just comes dancing. He's fine. No real payoff to that at all, except to begin a take a shower chant, which is what AJ um, started here. He told Sami Zayn to take a shower. um, And the crowd starts chanting, take a shower. And this would last with Sami Zayn uh, throughout the evening and perhaps throughout the better part of his career in the future. You talk about good storytelling way. That's what this show needed. We needed the vignette of Sammy getting taken to the dump and, and fighting his way out of the, the garbage truck and then making his long trip back home and then getting a shower and then making his way to the KFC Yum Center. Like that's, that's what they should have put on YouTube today. Yeah. I wonder uh, I mean, just the just the physically seeing him climb even out of that the little dumpster, I think would have made for a nice WWE.com extra. Um, but you know, this happened to be it. Uh, no real kind of drama to it. He's 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 outside of the dumpster. He's very much alive. He just really smells. So, do you cool. think that's going to be something they continue way, or is it or is it just this that they didn't care about the Sammy story? Like, is stuff that happens on Raw is that going to be? like on a separate earth to use a DC comics term than what happens on uh, SmackDown. 
I think in this case, there was really never, never to be anything more beyond just the gag of him being thrown into the back mm. of that dumpster. I don't think they intended to pay it off at all. Um, so that's kind of my feelings. I mean, from what we see, it, it seems like it's it's not a multiverse story. It's not a uh, uh, what what do they call that branch theory timeline? <laughs> Nothing like that. So there's a timeline where Sammy went in the garbage can, and a timeline where he got out. Um, we can only imagine. Yeah, we can only imagine. Maybe he sacrificed himself into the. <laughs> there was trash. only one possibility for. For this yeah. show to have in the night, and it was Sammy getting tossed in a, in a garbage can last night. Yes, there was only one way. Um, okay, so Kofi and Xavier interrupt now, and then Kofi says, AJ might have built SmackDown, but he doesn't live here anymore. <laughs> Kofi and AJ argue, and Sami Zayn stops them. Says he knows where this is going. He's seen plenty of WWE book programming. He does not want Kofi to offer AJ a title shot tonight. Instead, Zane says, if anyone deserves a title shot, it's him. The people deserve a champion who will tell them the truth, whether they like it or not. So Kofi asks Sammy, what is that smell? And we get more take a shower chance. And Xavier Woods says, you smell like my 10th grade sock drawer. Kofi says he's a fighting champion. I know how John Pollock feels now. Kofi says he's <laughs> Kofi says he's a fighting champion. He proved it last night, and he wants to prove it tonight against both of them, or either of them, he says. So the segment just ends there. We don't have an official announcement of the match before we go out, but we later learn that it will be a three-way. So not only can Raw Talent now appear on SmackDown, they can also challenge for the SmackDown championship. The brand split. Is pretty much officially over. <laughs> but Nate, give me your thoughts. It was okay uh, for what it was. I like the ultimate ending of the segment where we get Kofi as a fighting champion because honestly, way as much as I love Kofi winning the title at WrestleMania, it seems like, you know, granted they had some issues, you know, with Big E getting hurt and maybe that was part of the storyline coming out of Mania, but it seems like they've, kind of stumbled and fumbled their way to what do we want this Kofi character and this Kofi storyline to be. And I, I really liked last night. Like, that might have been one of the few good parts about Raw on Monday was Kofi versus Brian. And then tonight again, Kofi being a fighting champion. So it's like, at least on that front, that's good storytelling. Uh, I could have done without the, you know, silly sock drawer humor, but, you know, it is it is what it is. Much like Sami Zayn, I've seen a lot of WWE TV, so I know what to expect. Absolutely, I agree with you. I think over the past two nights, they, you know, by having Kofi in both main events and winning both main events, he's come out of both nights this week feeling like the top star in the company. Um, you know, prior weeks, I feel like he's he had had that aura as well, but I think seeing him actually wrestle and beat guys has yeah. really been helpful for him. So I feel like they've done a very good job with that. It seemed, and you can really tell from the crowd reactions. Like he got cheered beyond anybody else on the show, including AJ Styles, who at one time was was uh, very much the franchise player on this show. Um, I do have issue though with just granting title shots as frequently as they've been, mm. and I totally understand the need to make all of your TV main events feel as big as possible. But 
you're about to promote a pay-per-view where everybody is going to be competing for a title shot. The Royal Rumble, same thing, a title shot. Like any 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 chance and opportunity you have to uh, build a match around receiving a belt, I just feel is is automatically lessened whenever guys can simply show up from another brand and get into the ring with somebody and get that same opportunity. Yeah. And I think it'd be one thing, and, and again, these are little small storyline moves you can make to just tell a better story. And because one of the things they've been harping on is Kofi is not a deserving champion. And an easy solution to that, if you want to have all these title matches, would have been for Kofi to just, you know, every week I'm going to put this title up. It's an open challenge. First come, first serve. I want the best competition. And so that way you have a mechanism for, okay, wrestler X can get a shot this week or wrestler Z can get a shot this week instead of just random people just showing up and getting shots without any kind of rhyme or reason behind it. Mm-hmm. It's it's I know it's such a, a tough dilemma because, you know, if you want to profile a guy in a in a in a major match every single week, you kind of have to do something like that. But at the same time, like what really distinguishes it between, you know, this and what Kevin Owens is about to, to have with him at Money in the Bank, mm. you know, but maybe at this point, like TV is what they should be worrying about instead of the network show. It's, it certainly seems, especially this week, it certainly seems like that. Like, they pulled out all the stops this week. Mm-hmm. Kevin Owens, the challenger for at Money in the Bank, he is not present at SmackDown. Uh, instead, he gives us a selfie promo. He says the reason why he's not starting off SmackDown as advertised was because today is his birthday. So as a result, he's going home to celebrate. Cut the promo on Kofi. I didn't even realize that they advertised him starting SmackDown, but I don't think many people are that disappointed. We see Mustafa Ali. He comes out, and he's um, about to take on Andrade. So, Mustafa Ali, we see a promo from him, and it's the no, same... Wait, wait, wait. Call, call the man by his uh, WWE-given Christian name. How dare I? Ali. Ali comes out. He comes out and he uh, they cut to a, a, a an excellent promo um, that they shot in the same style as you know uh, many of the ones he's done in 205 Live. Very shallow depth of field. I believe it's locally done uh, whenever he's at home with with a, with uh, his friend, or maybe they shot this like you know with with their own people. I'm not sure, but it looks very different and it's a style of promo that we've only seen with Mustafa Ali thus far. He. Cuts this promo in front of a, a streetlight at night. And he basically uses the streetlight as a metaphor for being a glimmer of hope in times when he's surrounded by darkness. He uses the streetlight as a metaphor for the money in the bank briefcase. Uh, how He talks about how he'll take the opportunity that was given taken away from him with his injury earlier this year. Um, to go from like a Kevin Owens selfie promo to this was absolutely no comparison like this made this promo feel way too good to be on this show i really enjoyed this and i know as somebody who keys into certain production elements uh you could probably agree with this but a lot of wwe production it's great you know they 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 are the best in the business at it but it feels very same like it's a lot of the same and this is different and anytime you can do something different that's good, uh, as opposed to something different that might not be so good, which we, which we'll touch on a little bit later. <laughs> uh, I think it's a good thing for your show, and it it makes Mustafa Ali or 
Ali stand out. And he's somebody that I think is another person that they've got a lot on their hands with Ali if they don't screw it up, which is always the magic question. Uh, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. It, it It's a promo based in reality. And so it's easier to buy into and makes you want to root for the guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zelina Vega and Andrade come out and Zelina Vega talks about the Kentucky Derby. She somehow relates it to the money in the bank. Um, but she Did says, you watch the Kentucky Derby uh, way? I had never seen the Kentucky Derby before. I don't even know if I've ever seen a horse race before. Uh, I got tricked into watching the Kentucky Kentucky Derby this year. Because uh, okay. I, I, I generally don't like it because, you know, it it makes me think of excess and, and wasted money and we could be spending this money on better things in this country. But I'm flipping through the channels and I land on the Kentucky Derby and Mike Tirico, the announcer, tells us this story of the jockey. I don't even know the jockey's name, uh, but but he's telling us the story of this jockey that has come up through hard times and he didn't have running water as a kid and he he got sick as a young child and they didn't think he was going to live and, and he lived and he turned that pain into his passion for horses and this is his chance and he's ridden in 15 Kentucky Derbies and he's never won one and now he's he's on a horse that has a chance to win and I was just stuck there for the next 20 minutes way watching the Kentucky Derby because Mike Tirico told this story that got me invested. And I'm like, the WWE needs Mike Tirico. Yeah. Maybe the WWE needs horses. (laughs) Selena Vega talks about the Kentucky Derby, says, unlike the Derby, the only thoroughbred in their race is Andrade. So in case you didn't realize, everybody, they're in Kentucky. Andrade grabs the mic. Uh, he starts speaking some English, and he says he's going to be Mr. Money in the Bank uh, in Spanish. He says that. And then he says another line to Ali, but I couldn't quite make it out. It was something to the effect of, like, you will become envious of Andrade or something like that. So we get to the match. Early on, Zelina distracts Ali as he goes for a dive off of the barricade, which allows Andrade to knock him off as we go to break. We come back. Ali fights back. He delivers a big Spanish fly from the top rope. Crowd is chanting for Ali, but before he can start his comeback, in comes Randy Orton, who starts attacking everybody. The match is DQ'd. Orton attacks Andrade. Ali attacks Orton. And the two have a bit of a separation before Ali is up against the ropes and he mouths, I'm not afraid of you to Randy Orton. So they start to engage in a brawl. Ali avoids the first RKO, which shows some good fighting spirit from him. But Randy eventually lifts him up for a back body drop and hits an RKO on him anyway before he hits another onto Andrade off of a top rope dive. So I was a little disappointed we didn't see more of the match here. But then again, it's TV, so I can understand it. What did you think? I, I really enjoy this. And like you, at first I was a little like, oh, Randy, you, you know, you ruined this when it was just starting to cook up and heat up. But that's a match that they can save for down the road. And, you know, it's a way to protect both Ali and Andrade, who are two guys that have a ton of potential in this company. And like Randy Orton is somebody that, that's taken a lot of flack by the fans over the years. But damn it, way if that RKO still isn't something that gets a reaction from the audience, both, you know, watching on TV and, and live in the arena. And so, yeah, I think Randy Orton is kind of a perfect guy with a name who's who's a veteran who's still got a little bit of juice in him. Uh, and 
that move is still over. And so I thought it was a great showcase for all three guys. And it ultimately is building up to the match that you want to see. They really managed to find a way to like make Randy Orton feel timeless. I'll say whether, whether he's a baby face or a heel, like, I feel like we're not even too far removed from like the period where we had those like long Randy Orton, 20 minute, 12, 15, 20 minute matches that, you know, where everybody was just, rather disengaged because of his particular in-ring style but they've kind of like condensed Orton to like his best part which is coming in here uh whether or not you know he's having a match and delivering that RKO and it always seems to excite the audience I will say in this segment it felt like they were trying to tease something between Orton and Ali I really liked when they had a close-up of Ali saying I'm not afraid of you because I think as an underdog Randy Orton is like the perfect type of, you know, heel for Ali to go up against yeah. in order to improve Ali's stock. But then I was a little disappointed when Ali, when Orton just happened to hit the RKO anyway. Because I feel like if you had positioned Ali as the one person that Randy Orton couldn't RKO because he's too fast, I, I feel like that would have really been great for Ali. Coming out of the segment, he not only hit Ali with the RKO, but he hit Andrade with it too. So... Coming, it, it just kind of felt like Ali was a bit of an, of an afterthought um, and that this was just, you know, hey, all these guys are going to be in the money in the bank. Watch for it. Rather than something's particularly focused on Ali by the end. But I guess we could we shall see the follow-up. Yeah, and I, and I do think they'll get a good little showcase inside the chamber. Like, I think that's something you definitely would want to highlight because, again, this is the story of Ali trying to regain what he lost and... You got, you know, the perfect kind of, like you said, the perfect foil, the perfect bad guy, the perfect bully in Randy Orton, who is like Mr. Corporate himself. And I think mm -hmm. the contrast between the two is really nice. Yeah. We get a Roman Reigns video in lieu of Roman Reigns actually appearing on this show. So um, I guess he, maybe the <laughs> wild card just kind of takes you off from your main show. Say, so, so, if you, so does the wild card give you a, a get out of work free pass for the show you're actually signed to so is, well, is that what get, they're saying now do you get paid twice as much that's these are some great questions um so roman reigns instead of appearing on the show he we get a video of roman reigns basically recapping highlights from his entire career they show us his debut his uh a major win over john cena his defeat of the undertaker at wrestlemania him defeating brock lesnar at SummerSlam last year and then his cancer announcement his subsequent comeback and even up to the present day including his superman punched event so um a really good video, I thought, that, you know, felt like a bit of an attempt to remind everybody what this guy's been through. Uh, I felt like it's something like this is very necessary for me in particular because he he's really just kind of felt a little bit stagnant and really returning back to, like, the Roman Reigns pre-comeback or pre-even, like, any of this, like, babyface stuff that he's been doing over the past several uh, months. It took me a while to figure out what this video was about because I was flipping back and forth for the first hour of Raw between uh, for the first I wish I was flipping uh, back and forth during the first hour of raw last night uh but tonight uh between the first hour of Smackdown and uh the flash it's down to its last two episodes I thought I you were gonna, gonna say I thought you were gonna say the Raptors who killed the sixers oh, last yeah night. they did <laughs> but I was I was going back and forth and so you know I'm, I'm, I'm I gotta check in see what's going on with Barry Allen okay cool let me flip back to Smackdown and so I caught it at the very beginning of the video, but I didn't see the context of the setup. And so they're showing like Roman in developmental. And I thought it was like an ad for the NXT 25 at first, for like the right. first 
scene or two. And then I'm like, oh, this is all about Roman. Oh, okay, I, there's the Superman punch events. Okay, I get it. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought this was good as a refresher course for folks on Roman Reigns. And they're in a really interesting position now with, with this character because I think they want Roman to be on both shows because he is one of their bigger draws. But at the same time, you don't want to fall back into the trap of forcing something that's not organic. And mm. in particular, like we just talked about Mustafa Ali, who's a very organic character. Uh, Kofi Kingston, whose rise came very organically. When you contrast that with the company trying to go so hard with pushing Roman, it could make the fans be like, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm good. You know, we, we were happy Joe's back, but we really don't want to see Roman in these spots. So, you know, it's it's a line they've got to walk, but I think you know you you can't push too hard on the Roman on the Roman pedal unless the goal is for Roman to be a heel, which they've they've shown us over the last three or four years way is not the goal. Right. Yeah. So much of it depends on his opponents too. You know, and yeah. and this current program that he's having with Shane and with Elias, I think at least will assure you that he won't be turned by the audience at the same time like they're both matches that i just it's very tough to to really be too interested in um but without roman being on the show i thought i think video packages i'm a huge fan of always especially from the wwe so i enjoyed this if anything just as a little break and as a way to achieve you know remind me of what this guy's done which is i think a lot more than you would achieve by just having him do another match on a, on a tv show Speaking of Shane McMahon, he comes out next and he starts reprimanding the, the Miz for attacking him last night with a chill, steel chair. And he says, what kind of a person would attack somebody else with a steel chair? So we'll remember that for later. Um, he says the Miz's actions were deplorable. And then he stops, realizes he's in Kentucky. So he decides to use a simpler word, disgusting, instead of de deplorable. He's here to address the SmackDown tag team title situation, and he says he scoured the roster and asked himself who would be worthy to become the tag team champions. And I feel like me and perhaps most of the people watching fully expected him to award himself and Elias the tag team belt. Instead, he looks to the ramp and introduces your new SmackDown tag team champions, Daniel Bryan and Eric Rowan. So Shane is about to hand them the tag team belts, but they are interrupted by the Usos who come out, do their, and do their, whoa, 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 thing. And, um, I don't know. Some, this will work with somebody. Did it, does it work for you? I was a little worried when, when they first started out with this way, because I was already having flashbacks to Monday night and, the Usi Hot segment. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, the Usos can be funny, but they can be funny in their own voice. And, and you know, last night's segment and then starting off with the woe stuff, it's like, ah, oh, that's not these guys. But when they got in the ring and actually started getting into their promo, it worked more. But, like, the first couple seconds, I was like, oh, here we go again. So the Usos say, say they've taken advantage of the wild card rule. It's Usa's wild, they say. The Usos say, say that they've worked too hard to put the SmackDown tag belts on the map to see them just handed away this way. And the Usos point out that Roman had to earn, or Rowan, sorry, Rowan had to earn the belts when he beat them as part, part of the Bludgeon Brothers. So 
The Usos called Dana Bryan and Rowan SpongeBob and Patrick, Ren and Stimpy, Beavis and Butthead, and they demand a match against Bryan and Rowan, which Shane agrees to. So, challenging for the SmackDown Tag Team ch- titles are Eric Rowan and Daniel Bryan, two guys who have probably tagged together like two times on TV, and a tag team from Raw. So, you know, they put out a graphic earlier this week, like when they addressed the situation, and it was full of like random teams of like Mustafa Ali and Finn Balor, who I don't know if they've ever teamed before other than maybe one time before something. It was a team like Elias and Shane. It was uh, a Rowan and, and, and Brian, I believe were a part of it as well. But I mean, I think seeing this just kind of, again, puts a further spotlight. This whole ordeal has really put a spotlight on, on just how weak the tag team division is and, 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 and where they had to go, which I'm not complaining about because I think this match was, probably better than anything they could have come up with. I agree. And I thought like, I really liked the, the back half of the Usos promo when they got into kind of the lineage, the recent lineage of the SmackDown tag team titles uh, and gave more weight and more seriousness to, you know, actually having to earn your title. Uh, And, and I think Daniel and Rowan, you know, in a weak field, Daniel and Rowan make for a good team because at least you're going to be entertained by Daniel Bryan. Mm Hmm. We get a Finn Balor selfie promo before the match. Finn is in Bray in in Ireland, and he says he's going to win the money in the bank because he's going to do something extraordinary. <laughs> he's going to be the IC champ and the WWE champion because he wants to be Finn Two Belts. Mm. So you know what, the, Way? Yeah. Until you recap that, like, and I just watched the show tonight, but until you recap that, I had forgotten that Finn Balor was the IC champ. Mm-hmm. And I was reminded of that tonight during the show. And before the show, I had forgotten about it. Like, I I, I was trying to rack my brain, like, who the hell is the IC champion? And, and twice tonight, I was told it was Finn Balor. And even still, I forgot. It's sort of sad, because, like, you know, in an ideal world, you would have your IC title be the TV title that gets defended every single week in your main event. Um, but you know, we've kind of dealt with a situation where your secondary belts are, are so meaningless that that as a main event would be very disappointing to most people. So we get the match for the SmackDown tag team titles, Brian and Rowan versus the Usos. And Corey starts to ask what happens if the Usos are going to win? Will they take the belts to raw? Will they come back to SmackDown? It'll be anarchy. Um, it's mostly Brian and Rowan in control. Jimmy goes for a splash at one point, and Brian gets his knees up. He transitions to the LaBelle lock, but Jimmy escapes, but he has a damaged left shoulder. Uh, we get a Jimmy and Jay double team uh, onto Rowan with super kicks, a super su- suicide dive to Brian, and then a big splash on Rowan for a 2.5 kickout from Rowan, which the crowd reacts huge for. Uh, while both heels are on the floor, the Usos go for stereo suicide dives onto Rowan, but Rowan catches them both. Brian delivers a running knee to Jimmy on the floor. And then back in the ring, Jay super kicks everybody, but Rowan finally catches him with his iron claw chokeslam deal for the win. What did you think of the match? I thought this was a really good match. Much better than I was expecting from this segment going into the night, you know, not knowing who the participants were going to be. And, you know, the Usos, we've talked about it before, Wade. The Usos... When they're on, they're arguably one of the best teams in the business. Mm-hmm. And then you got somebody of the caliber, Daniel Bryan, and Rowan, you know, held up his end of the bargain with the power stuff. So I thought it was a really good match. I bit on the uh, false finish 
you know, with the splash and then for, you know, Rowan and Brian to come back and win the belts. I thought that was a great finish. And like I said, you know, on a roster where the depth in your tag team division isn't the best, you're probably going to have a lot of makeshift teams challenge for the belt. I think having the stability of a top level heel like Daniel Bryan kind of anchoring that division is a good thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, certainly in terms of star power, it elevates the division. The question is who they they will be defending the tag team belts against, and we'll get a tease for that later on. But I, I, I'm with you. I thought the match was excellent, as you would expect from these four. And, you know, I think the tag team itself will really help Eric Rowan because, you know, he's obviously very much used to tag team wrestling. He's He was tremendous as part of the Bludgeon Brothers, but I think he'll even be better as part of a team with Daniel Bryan where he gets to have more of, a, of, a, of an identity as the lone big guy to compliment yeah. Daniel Bryan. And it'll just basically add a lot of relevance to Rowan, who, you know, we haven't really seen at all since, uh, obviously, since Brian's been away. But even while Brian was doing his program with Kofi, he was a bit of a non-factor. So I, I'm really happy that he's going to get this. So we see uh, the Firefly Funhouse video again. Do you have any thoughts to share on uh, Bray's current gimmick? <laughs> God bless, God bless uh, Bray Wyatt. Like the the guy's trying. Like he's not. If there's one criticism you cannot levy at these segments, way is that he's phoning it in. Mm-hmm. Like he's out here trying to make this thing work. I just don't think it's gonna work. I just don't think it's gonna translate when this guy actually has to have a match. And you know, different isn't always good. And <laughs> uh, that, that's all I have to say about the the, the Firefly segments. Well, we shall see. I'm sure uh, in in a month's time, we'll we'll have an updated uh, opinion from Nate. Maybe you'll love it by then. Who knows? Maybe it'll be, you know, because here's, here's the thing. Wait, we talked about Marvel off the top. I didn't love Doctor Strange, like the movie. Mm. But now Doctor Strange is one of my fa- favorite characters in the MCU. Maybe Bray Wyatt will undergo a Stephen Strange transformation and, and become one of my favorite characters in the WWE universe, uh, you know, six months from now. I think it would be really interesting once you have like, you know, the, like a straight man in this weird world that he's crafted. Mm. Like, could you imagine like a Greg Hamilton in the Firefly Funhouse? By the way, Greg Hamilton, they released, I haven't seen the whole thing yet, but I saw a a bit of it. They did like an office style, um, 10 minute video. Yeah, I saw it. I didn't, I didn't click on it, but I saw, I saw uh, folks online talking about it. Somebody posted it on the Post Wrestling Forum, so go to forum.postwrestling.com, and it looks really interesting. So uh, I'll check that out. Maybe we'll, we'll talk a bit about that on the double shot. Um, okay, so Shane McMahon is back in the ring this time. He's here to talk about the Money in the Bank match. He says whoever wins is almost guaranteed to be WWE champion. He continues talking about the match, but out comes, from Raw, The Miz, who, by my count, Nate, is the fifth person from Raw to be on this show. Am I right? And this was not a case of like Elias running in, which yeah. doesn't count because they specifically said that Miz was taking advantage of the wild card rule. So Yeah, we it... had the Usos. Dude, maybe the Usos count as one entity. Well, that's my question. You know, that like if you're a tag team, are you one person? I think they need to have more rules for this wild if we're gonna do this wild card thing, let's go all the way. Like they should actually have to have a wild card. Everybody on the roster gets one. And if you use it, you're not allowed to use it again for 90 days. And it could be one of those, like, maybe, like, like oversized cards, like an oversized check, 
you know, yes. I want to like, see like a somebody... Uno, like a Uno wild card. <laughs> yeah, I want to see that. Like he's or, cashing in his wild card, or maybe a special like sash, like a really wild sash with like maybe like a leopard print, something. So, uh, remains to be seen if the number is four or five, or if it's because tag teams count as one. Um, the Miz attacks Shane on the ramp, but out comes the B team for the save. They're now attacking their former Miz Tourage leader because they are now with Shane. So, Miz gets rid of the both of them, and out comes Shane McMahon with a steel chair, hypocrite that he is, to lay the Miz out. And this segment ends. Um, what have you been thinking about this Shane Miz program? First of all, did I miss a segment where the B team aligned with Shane? I feel like that was in a previous week. I could be totally mistaken. Um, I know he's got uh, Lashley in his corner now. He's yeah. got Elias. You, I, I just assumed that he has the, has the B team as well. <laughs> what else is the B team doing now? Uh, I think the feud is interesting because I, I was really hot for this feud uh, headed into WrestleMania. I thought it was one of the better done feuds on SmackDown. It's kind of lost a little bit of steam in the in the weeks after WrestleMania. And I think part of that was due to Miz initially being moved to Raw before this whole wildcard stuff got started. Uh, and now, like, it feels like almost like a waste of a wildcard for the Miz to use it to attack Shane when Shane will probably just show up on Raw next week anyway. Well, he couldn't wait to get his hands on him, <laughs> right? Like, Miz, you have to use these wild cards strategically. They don't come often. I feel like when it comes to, like, you know, sneak attacking somebody, he could have just, like, waited for him at the hotel. You know, <laughs> yes. he could have just, like, waited for him outside his car in the parking lot. I was going to say, like, if you don't step in the arena, does does your wild card uh, privileges, do they still exist? So if he just waits for Shane to come out in the parking lot and attacks him, is his wild card still intact? Right. Maybe they got one. They probably have indoor parking at these arenas, so mm. this is probably his best chance. All right. So, uh, what have, what have you thought about it though? Like, it, I've, it, I've, has, has it has the kind of excitement level for you waned since WrestleMania? I'll tell you. Like, if you just look at this build on paper, I think they've been doing a great job. I think they've been telling the story properly with mm -hmm. the babyface who really wants to get his hands on the heel, but the heel always manages to escape until he can't because of their steel cage match going up. The only issue, of course, is that do I want to see the two people that are involved in this feud <laughs> in that steel cage match? And that's still very questionable for me. Um, but we know how creative they can be with their bells and whistles in Shane McMahon matches, so yeah. we shall see. It's also, I still find it really tough to like take the Miz in this type of... Um, scenario uh, as this kind of like Steve Austin type of baby face. Like, could you imagine if it was, Oh man, like ricochet, you know, in this role instead of mm. like, um, uh, uh, Miz, uh, I, it'd be that much better, but I'm also giving it a chance. I think uh, the story they've been telling with this is one of the better ones lately. Brian and Rowan have just won the belts and they're backstage congratulating themselves. And then they run into heavy machinery. Otis says, congratulations. They exchange looks as the heels walk away. So that appears to be our first title program on SmackDown. Brian and Rowan versus Heavy Machinery. Not a marquee program by any means, but it's definitely a chance for Heavy Machinery to impress. Um, or they'll simply be Brian and Rowan's first victims. 
And I can imagine Heavy Machinery gives Daniel Bryan a lot of material to cut, you know, that sanctimonious holier-than-thou promo because, you know, stakes and weights, they're all about excess. True. So yeah. those, those should be some good good promos leading up to the match. Carmella and Amber Moon are in the ring now. They're about to take on Sonya and Mandy. So in this ring now are three of the participants for Money in the Bank, with the ex- exception of Sonya, who, of course, gave up her spot to Mandy Rose. Carmella is back to being a blonde. I should let people know that. This was a very quick match. There, you know, I wouldn't say there was a ton of heat for it uh, at all. Ember goes for her suicide dive on Mandy, but Sonya Deville shoves Mandy out of the way and sacrifices herself here as well. Mandy comes back, hits her V trigger onto Ember, brings her back into the ring and hits her finish, the bed of roses for the win. So the story is that Sonya continues to sacrifice herself for Mandy's benefit. Well, oh, Sonya Deville, the, the Tony Stark of the women's division. I, I mean, I guess so. Yeah, I guess you could look at it this way. Or or is she the Black Widow mm. to his to her Hawkeye? I like that. I, I like that even better. Yeah. Where do you think this is all leading to? I, I think it's going to lead to a feud between, between the two that doesn't make any sense because Mandy is not making Sonya do any of these sacrifices. Mm-hmm. And also, like... I can't buy if if Sonya's going to be the angry participant and turn on Mandy. I can't buy Mandy as a babyface, so I, I don't know where they go. Yeah, yeah, there certainly hasn't been much of a reason, and I think that's part of the intrigue is us not knowing why Sonya all of a sudden is doing this. But at the same time, it's it's kind of confusing because Mandy is a heel. Like yeah. they're both supposed to be heels, but arguably Mandy is the more heelish of the two. And... I'm, I'm just hoping they don't go to like a Sasha Bailey deal where where Sonya's like, you know, I, I have something to tell you. And we get this weird relationship, friendship angle. Well, you kid. And, and that's something we shall see uh, if if that comes to fruition. Because so... I, I don't trust these writers to be able to handle something like that with the amount of nuance that it needs. Well, that's very interesting because we know that there, you know, there are female members of the writing staff, and if they go that route, like I'd be very curious to see who is in charge of something like that, whether or not it'd be done tastefully, or if it'll be, you know, more of your typical pro wrestling um, type of angle. So Sonya and Mandy are celebrating, and out comes Asuka, Kyrie Sane, and Paige. Paige congratulates the two, says she used to manage them, but now she's traded way up. And she says next week, Asuka and Kyrie will start ripping through the tag team division, beginning with Sonya and Mandy. So it looks like that's the match for next week. Asuka and Kyrie versus Sonya and Mandy. Kayla is backstage. She's talking to Matt Hardy, who's dressed in plain clothes. Matt gives us an update on Jeff's surgery. He says it was very successful. And then R-Truth interrupts to tell something to Matt, which he forgets. And Matt later reminds him, Lars Sullivan? And Truth says yes. So they're complaining about Lars Sullivan. And then suddenly Kayla runs away because here comes Lars. <laughs> Lars attacks both men backstage. He throws Matt Hardy into a unisex bathroom. And then he drives R-Truth through a table. So continuing basically the Lars Sullivan push. Um, and I think I've been enjoying it. I, it's very simple. It, you know, If there's one thing that I, I feel like I can usually commend the WWE for, it's that they know how to push their monsters. Yeah. I enjoyed this segment. 
probably much more than it needed to be enjoyed simply for the moment where Kayla runs away and then Matt Hardy has to be the one to sell the shock that Lars Sullivan is behind them. Oh, my God. Yeah, throws his fists up like in <laughs> yeah. Kung Fu pose. <laughs> like, that was great. Like, I I know Jeff's out, but I hope we get more Matt Hardy on these shows because, you know, he can still contribute uh, in, in terms of being an entertainer on his roster. Well, I'm curious if he, like, um, you know, if this is another evolution of Matt Hardy. We've had V1. We've had the Hardy Boys version of Matt. We've had, obviously, the broken Matt Hardy. Maybe this is, like, like dad Matt Hardy. Like, mm. the guy who just, like, wears button-ups and just, like, you know, looks like George Mizanin, basically, here. <laughs> Alistair Black is in the back. And um, I feel like I may need to dial John Pollock to do this one, but for anyone who's been dejected by those whose acceptance and affirmations should be instinctual, who've dealt with the sins of the father and the sins of the mother, I arrogantly sit before you as both your wrath and your salvation. That's about as much as far as I went. I can't do this. Uh, he basically says he's sorry he, he's going to have to kick his opponent's asses. Like, this dude and his writers definitely have the source.com mm. bookmarked. Um, I, I think he got Ronda Rousey's old writers. It, perhaps. But I'll say I think he makes it work far better yes, than, the than delivery is, is The delivery is the best. Like, he's what he's saying is not connecting all at all times with me but the way he delivers it like he's he's really good at it so i hope they give him better material and uh yeah he's another guy who i hope doesn't get lost in the shuffle no pun intended with all of these roster moves i certainly think like in contrast to what ricochet is going through on raw like the uh, alistair black is certainly in better shape they're giving him a chance to speak they're giving him kind of this cool backstage area that's all on his own a promo style that's all on his own so he's already crafted, in my mind, a much bigger identity, a much more complete identity than Ricochet. Um, you know, the promo, I definitely worry that it can, you know, um, tread into Bray Wyatt, like old Bray Wyatt territory. It's certainly not there yet because these promos in the end, to me, always have a point And I always pretty much understand what he's saying. Um, that said, though, I think we're near kind of the threshold of how long they can drag this out before we start to see him in ring again. So I hope after the money in the bank is when he starts to like, you know, like wrestle again. Um, rather than Bray Wyatt, I certainly get more like old school Undertaker vibes from him, which I think is a very good thing. Our main event for the WWE Championship, Kofi Kingston versus AJ Styles versus Sami Zayn. The take a shower chants continue at Zayn. And uh, it's worth noting that this is only Zayn's Second televised match since his return a month ago. And this is very much your traditional WWE-style three-way. One person on the floor while the other two fight in the ring. Our first big spot is with Kofi delivering a huge uh, high uh, splash to AJ's back as AJ is hunched over. And it looked a little bit scary because while AJ was hunched over with all that weight collapsing on him, it looked like his right leg might have bent a little bit awkwardly. But AJ continued the match, though the announcers did call attention to the weakened knee as a storyline story point. There's a really cool spot with AJ going for his moonsault DDT onto Zayn. He grabs onto Kofi in order to deliver a double DDT, but instead Kofi reverses it and delivers an SOS, which forces AJ 
to DDT Zayn as well. So I thought that was very creative. AJ goes for the phenomenal forearm, but Kofi hits the trouble in paradise to send AJ to the floor. This cues Kevin Owens to run in, who lays Xavier Woods out on the floor. And this distracts Kofi, allowing Sami Zayn to deliver blue thunder bombs for uh, two counts. And we get basically three consecutive blue thunder bombs and three consecutive kickouts from Kofi Kingston. So by this point, the crowd is really into it. I guess my one question is, you know, why Kevin Owens would want yes. Kofi Kingston to lose the belt because he was outside chanting, come on, come on, and frustrated that Sammy wasn't beating Kofi. So why would you want the person that you're about to face for the championship <laughs> lose the championship? Yeah, that part didn't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, but I really enjoyed the match. Like the before before you get to your thoughts, Dan, let me just uh, go through the the conclusion. Okay. Zayn sets up the Haluva kick, uh, and then Kofi just uh, meets him with the trouble in paradise. So Kofi retains the belt as Owens retreats to the back. Yeah, this was a really good match, which you would expect given the competitors involved. Uh, I love that on back to back nights you've had Kofi go out there against high-level competition and defend the belt. I think it's given Kofi a much-needed kind of refresher with this title run, which I think it wasn't there yet, but I think it was kind of in danger of, you know, kind of becoming an also-ran title reign. Mm -hmm. uh, but these last two nights have kind of reinvigorated him and the audience's response to him. Uh, I love the, the story of Kofi continuing to beat the odds, you know, going up with those three uh, blue thunder bombs. The only part, like you said, way that didn't make sense was why Kevin Owens wanted Kofi to lose because Kofi losing the belt doesn't necessarily mean Kevin Owens gets to fight Sami Zayn. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was kind of the lone blemish, but I'm with you. I thought this was a really good TV match. I think I enjoyed it even more than Brian versus Kofi on Monday. So uh, if there's any kind of like silver lining to, to all this experimentation, it's that Kofi Kingston has come out of it both nights as, you know, what 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 really feels like uh, the biggest star in the company. So Kayla. And it's something he had like right after, uh, right after WrestleMania, Ray. Ray. Right after WrestleMania, way. <laughs> That's a new one. Uh, yes, Ray Ting. My, Way, my, Mysterio. My <laughs> Way Mysterio. Way uh, Mysterio. That, that's got to be a Halloween costume. Uh, but the fact that Kofi was arguably your biggest star coming out of WrestleMania, and he cooled off a bit. Um, and, and for him to kind of get this refresher, it was much needed because I didn't want Kofi, you know, personally, as somebody who has been a fan of Kofi Kingston and invested in his run up through WrestleMania, I didn't want him to become a casualty of the apathy of the fans and the ratings that we've seen the last few weeks. I didn't want him to get scapegoated. And so, like, the fact that the company's still sticking with him and giving him these high-profile wins uh, gives me a little bit of faith. Absolutely. You know, and, and as we mentioned, you know, uh, the third-hour ratings were a dip on Monday, but I feel like they're, I mean... They would be a dip with almost anybody. So I hope the company does not look at Kofi Kingston as, as any sort of a reason for this. Um, that said, I feel like they will carry this title run until they have the next guy. And I just can't really see who the next guy is outside of Roman, of course. Yeah. Which they and if, they go, if they go to that match, that's going to make Roman one of the biggest heels in the company. Yes. 
I mean, more more than more likely, I kind of see it more like Kofi giving it to somebody else. Maybe, maybe even a Lars Sullivan who will in turn give it back to to Roman. That's almost an inevitability. But I hope in the meantime, like Kofi could continue to build value at the very least until SummerSlam, because I feel like there's yeah. enough crowd interest at this point. Uh, so one weekend, how are you enjoying the wild card rule? <laughs> it's. It's confusing because I don't even think they figured out how they want this thing to work yet. Uh, so until they get it kind of ironed out, it's probably going to be a little choppy for the next few weeks. But I think it adds some intrigue to the shows. Uh, granted, it kind of blows the whole concept of split brands out of the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, but They're trying I- really hard to maintain that. Like It's almost like, you know... Like Vince is just holding on so hard to to this concept of this brand split. Meanwhile, everything's just kind of telling him to get rid of it. Yeah, do the announcers get wild cards too? Like, can Byron Saxton just walk over to Raw one week? Oh, well, we know Corey has a permanent wild card. Yes. So maybe there's only one, and Corey has it. Maybe we'll get Renee on SmackDown one week. Yeah. Um. I I enjoyed this show. And I think the reason why I enjoyed it was because it felt like an edition of SmackDown pre-shakeup. Like, look yes. at the stars here. You had AJ, you had Kofi, you had Brian, you had the Usos. And I even include the Miz. You had no Roman Reigns. You had no Elias. And to me, like, it just shows you how strong SmackDown was before and how much weaker of a show it's been since the draft. At least for my enjoyment. I can't necessarily say, you know... For the casual audience without a Roman Reigns, how much better this show was. I guess we shall find out tomorrow. But in terms of outside of like, I'm going to say outside of like the Firefly segment, which was just a replay of what happened last night, we didn't get a silly segment. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, like like the the Usi Hot segment from Monday night, just like if if you're enjoying the show up to that point, like that point probably made you either change the channel or soured you on the rest of the night and we never mm-hmm. got that moment i feel on smackdown the night all righty before we go to feedback nate i'm going to ask you to just take a seat right here in the corner as i welcome a good friend of ours damien abraham here on the show to discuss the debut of the wrestlers on viceland joining me now to talk about the debut of the wrestlers on viceland beginning march 22nd at 10 p.m the host of the wrestlers, Damian Abraham, who I'm sure, Damian, the day has come. Did you ever expect it when the Viceland wrestlers show would finally have an air date? I doubted it, Way. I feel like I've come on this show so many times <laughs> and talked about it and promised it that I was fated for it never to be seen. So people just thought of me as a liar for the rest of my life. So, yeah, no, I didn't think it was going to happen. And I am... Very happy it did. So tell me, like, you know, how, like, this all kind of came about. Obviously, this was produced with uh, Viceland in Canada. It had a brief run uh, in 2018. And then it just kind of, like, it was, like, in a nighttime run where, like, it wasn't really publicized. I would, I believe you would call it, like, a soft launch or something. And then we never had an official launch. So how did talks uh, come back? I think you'd, I think those were almost even phantom airings. Like, those things were just... Uh... You know, like those those were never scheduled. Like they would just kind of come on throughout the day and we never knew when they were going to show. 
Uh, and yeah, so those, those kind of airings that happened way back when, but for the most part, it was just kind of left in a, a state of limbo. You know, we finished the show and we had, uh, sort of a, a fairly kind of right after their finished filming air date given to us. And then that kind of came and went and we were just kind of left waiting. And then dark side of the ring came out and has become a phenomena unto itself and, that is really what I think I have to give full credit to for kind of opening Vice's eyes to wrestling. But I started working on this thing. I was thinking about this today. I think I started working on this thing seven years ago now. Um, that what? That was How? me trying to – well, that was me originally going to Vice and trying to convince them to do something about pro wrestling. Mm, uh, they they had done the British Wrestler, the Grado documentary, and I really wanted them to do the Tournament of Death documentary. That was my big thing. Nick Gage was getting out of jail – because it was six years ago, Nick J- Gage got out of jail now. And that's where I'm like, okay, we got to do this thing. Nick Gage is going to get out of a prison. He's going to go back. He's going to do a tournament of death. Uh, I remember we even talked to CZW at the time with Vice. And they were, you know, amenable to us coming down. It looked like we were going to go down and film it. And then at the last second, they were like, ah, I don't know if we want to do something about wrestling right now. And so it was, you know, another three years before I convinced them to do the Tournament of Death documentary. And then once the Tournament of Death documentary kind of did well, they were like, okay, what's this TV show you've always been talking about with pro wrestling? And laid out the TV show for them at that point. And then it was, you know, still another two, three years before we got to this point. So, yeah, it's been (laughs) it's been a long time. Tell the audience uh, out there who's heard so much, especially from our shows about the wrestlers, uh, what they can expect when they finally get to see it. Yeah, absolutely. It's a 10 episode series and it is, you know, uh, kind of like without any frills, a love letter to pro wrestling. Like it is really my, you know, hope is to try and show what we all know is that wrestling is like a global art form. The wrestling exists all over the world and where everything, wherever wrestling sort of takes root and takes hold, it retains its core, which is, you know, people using uh, people making entertainment through deception and violence. Um, but the thing that changes all the time is the way this sort of core is blossomed, you know, and what it becomes like. So if you look at Japanese pro wrestling and strong style and the whole history of strong style, it's very, very different than Lucha Libre and the whole history of Lucha Libre. But there's still this, you know, core that's the same where you could take a wrestler from Japan and a wrestler from Mexico, neither one of them speaking the same language, neither one knowing each other prior to the match, and they would still be able to kind of put on an entertaining show for the audience, you know, just because there is some sort of, you know, universal language that is pro wrestling. And, you know, I can't believe we got to do it. I really am shocked still that they gave us the money to go and go out there and and document this stuff because, you know, it was like kind of an unproven thesis in a way, you know, like a lot of places we were going to, I was like, yeah, I think it's probably gonna be the same, you know, like it's gotta be the same. And then when we'd actually get there and we'd see the training and we'd realize, oh, yeah, no, it is the same thing. There is like a a universal core that is professional wrestling and it's just the sort of culture around it that changes. Who are some of the subjects that people could expect to see a, a profile on these episodes? Uh, did uh, The first episode is looking at Evolve Wrestling and looking at what I think people are going to look back upon as being one of the great locker rooms of this era evolve um, in 2017 where you had people like Zack Sabre Jr., Kyle O'Reilly, um, you, you had, you know, Darby Allen, Austin Theory, Fred Yehi, 
You had people, you know, Matt Riddle, you had Keith Lee, you had just, you can go on ACH, just all these people in this locker room. And it was really a hub, you know, and it, and it was sort of the next wave of people that would become, you know, WWE's next wave of signings NXT were all in Evolve at that time, putting on these ridiculously awesome matches. So we kind of go down to Evolve, look at Gabe Sapolsky and what he's able to do with various wrestlers, look at some of the wrestlers that he's worked with at, at the time. Um, then the next episode, we kind of do something with Phoenix and Pentagon, and we do a whole idea of wrestlers that are living in Tijuana and the idea of the opportunity that's presented for luchadors if they're able to cross the border and able to work shows in America and looking at Rey Mysterio as being sort of this you know, godhead for wrestlers, luchadors, and sort of this aspirational figure of this is what people want to do, this is what people want, like Phoenix and Pentagon want to be. But there's also this whole level of luchadors below that. And they're looking at Phoenix and Pentagon and what they're able to do now, where they're able to kind of go around the world making a really good living at pro wrestling. Like these are two guys that are from pretty abject poverty that are able to kind of come out of it and make, you know, um, amazing opportunities for their family through Lucha Libre. And so there's documenting these wrestlers that are looking at these two brothers as being the, the sort of aspirational figures as well. Um, and then we did one where we're going to Japan, one about stardom, one about DDT, uh, one about exoticos, the whole tradition of exoticos in Lucha Libre, which, you know, historically was used to mock gay and effeminate men and then fought for as a space for, you know, gay men to be open with their sexuality. And now we kind of look at it at this thing that, you know, it, it is an opportunity for people to be open with their sexuality, but it's still like a very problematic sector of pro wrestling, uh, for the gay community, for, you know, people that aren't familiar with it, but we, you know, we try to get past that and try and just talk to the wrestlers that are involved in this thing. And why is this an important culture within pro wrestling? And, you know, talk to wrestlers that don't necessarily want to be part of Exoticos anymore and want to sort of trans transition outside of that and become, you know, luchadoras and be considered as luchadoras because they have, you know, transitioned, you know, themselves. Um, so I think it's a, it's a really kind of, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a sector of wrestling that I was really fascinated by and something that I felt like I didn't really understand. And so I think after making this episode, I think I have a little bit more of an understanding about it. Uh, there's episodes about the Congo. I don't know. It's just, I can go on. Every yeah. episode's really different. Every episode's well, looking at a different aspect of pro wrestling. I'll just say like, you know, like as somebody who, who follows wrestling for a living, I mean, I feel like I have a pretty good grasp of like all the wrestling that's around the world. And I'm, I'm sure like people who listen to this show feel that way. But, like, to see and learn that wrestling is as deeply ingrained into the culture of, of a place like the Congo or, or any of, like, the um, – oh, I keep forgetting the name of the um, – the, like, the, the female wrestlers from uh, – uh, Bolivia. Yeah, Bolivia, yes. Uh, what is, what's the term? It's the Fighting Cholitas. Fighting Cholitas, was, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just it, – you know, it was, like, a promoter just looking – like the promoter that put the fighting Cholitas in the ring, these women in these sort of traditional indigenous dresses in the ring, he didn't think he was going to affect social change. He was just looking for something to fill the seats in the arena. But what happened was just the act of seeing these women in the ring wrestling men in traditional indigenous women's clothing, it caused a cultural revolution. It caused a complete reassessment of the way women in Cholita clothing were looked at in society. And it was just, you know, through pro wrestling. Like even... Even when people aren't even trying, pro wrestling is political. 
the idea that like, you know, this thing that we watch and really most of us kind of only have a framework of from seeing the WWE's version of it. The idea that like wrestling is used as a vehicle to do something like that, whether it be for a religious reason or for a, 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 a methods of uh, social change is was mind blowing to me. When I when I first saw mm-hmm. saw your 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 show, and I really can't wait for um, our audience and and the audience at large to to watch it. Um, can you again once again tell people what time it's on, when it debuts, and how people can get Viceland? It debuts May twenty second, and it's going to be on Viceland at ten p.m. And it's going to be right in the slot that Dark Side of the Ring is on. And I guess you can get Viceland right now in America on TV. And I think we're going to have more information on international dates, release dates and airings, uh, in the, in the near future. As, as those details get given to me, I'm going to give them out to everyone here, but also way, I think we got another announcement, right? That's right. Yes. So, um, in addition to that, once, uh, the show starts airing on Viceland post wrestling is going to be the official home of the wrestlers, companion uh that might not be the official name of it yet but we will be doing companion podcasts john pollock myself damian abraham talking about the making of every episode and i i look forward to that because there's going to be a lot to talk about a lot of questions that i'm going to have for you damian oh my gosh there's so much to go into you know like that's the thing is these these sort of on i want to know about you and uh, kota abushi going to caesarea (laughs) caesarea <laughs> the worst restaurant I went the entire time I was in Japan. Dude, uh, Brayden loves Caesarea. I know WH loves Caesarea. I actually kind of like Caesarea too, but you did not have a good time with Kota Ibushi there, and I can't wait to talk to you about it. <laughs> I think I, I know. Don't get me wrong. I had an amazing time with Kota Ibushi there, in spite of the food. Okay, awesome. So uh, look look out for details on that. Uh, 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 Damien and Kota Ibushi in Caesarea, as well as uh, behind the scenes from all, all the uh, episodes of The Wrestlers. Again, debuts on May 22nd at 10 o'clock on Viceland. And uh, Damien, thank you for joining me. No way. It's an, thank you for having me. And this is really the place that I can give credit to kind of bringing me into pro wrestling all those years ago when I met you guys and, you know, being a fan. But through this podcast, you know, looking past things kind of you know, finding out about the deeper side of pro wrestling. So once again, thank you to you and John for starting me on this journey and making me realize that up until this point, I had only ever eaten the McDonald's of professional wrestling. And now I think uh, hopefully we can try burgers that are made out of all different types of proteins from all over the world. McDonald's. I'm getting hungry. I love McDonald's though. No disrespect to McDonald's. I definitely can crush some McDonald's. Alrighty, we're back. Nate, you can come back from the corner. Uh, take Damien's seat right here, but do not say a word to him. Let's go to the forum for our feedback to SmackDown. Out of 10, Nate, what do you give this show? Mm, it's been a while since I've done it, Way, I'm going to give this the patented Nate Milton 6 out of 10. 6 out of 10. Perfect. Um, You know, I'm going to say 6.5. I, I typically uh, round up, so I'm going to say 7. Let me vote. Six point oh nine. I don't think uh, you could have felt this uh, this uh, cafe forum any better, Nate. Six out of ten from the forum, just like Nate Milton. We start off with Paul from New Jersey, who says, "I don't know what to say about this show. It was okay, better than that dumpster fire last night, but I can't get past the stupid wild card. That aside, the main event was really good. P.S. Nate Milton rules. 
My favorite Dwayne Johnson movie is the rundown underrated action comedy. Yes, the rundown was was great. Uh, you know, you can check that out. The archives of the Rocky Maivia Picture Show. I I'm not making any predictions away, but I think I like the rundown better than I'm going to like uh, Doom coming up later this month. Well, that's what I'm looking forward to you to reviewing the most is is the the terrible ones. Um, so yeah, if you go to postwrestling.com and if you go to the podcast section, you can look for the Rocky Maya via picture show. Nate's done three, mo- four movies thus far. I've heard a lot of great compliments, uh, about the show, including one in person today from our listener, Mike, who said, tell Nate Milton, the Rocky Maya Vic picture show is excellent. So that comes out every month on, uh, on our main feed here. Um, would you like to go next? All right. Let's see. We are at... Mike from Minnesota, as much as we are all sick of the evil GM authority figure, I kind of feel like the whole brand split does not make sense without it, let alone the wild card nonsense. I mean, who is the person inviting the four raw guys over? Did Styles just have to be the first one to fill out a one-day transfer form? <laughs> that would have been great, too, if we saw a vignette of the guys in the office. Like, trying yeah, to what kind of paperwork forms. is involved with, with obtaining a wild card? Uh, why would they want a Raw team or Raw superstar to win a SmackDown title? Why do I feel like Zayn and Brian are almost the same guy? Speaking of Brian, why do I have to watch him feud with Heavy Machinery? And finally, the biggest question of the week, why can Ember Moon be called the War Goddess on Raw? Why, Why can Ember Moon be called the War Goddess, but on Raw we have a team named the Viking Raiders? That is an excellent question. Uh, it's perplexing, yeah, yeah. Um, well, maybe they didn't realize that they didn't like the name War Goddess um, until now, so I don't know. We got a Brandon from Oshawa who says, so the WWE wants to build their ratings back up. To do this, they probably need a few stars on their show that we can actually want to watch. Obviously, it makes perfect sense then to give a WWE title shot to a guy you just threw in the trash the night before. What a star-building moment. I really think Shane needs to put a corporation-like stable together to go between both shows. It's been too long since we had a solid stable war. Brother Nate, who wins the Stanley Cup? Mm, that is a good question. I'm not much up on my hockey, but I am going to say of the remaining teams, I'm going to say it's going to be Carolina meeting... Let's, let's go San Jose for Dave Meltzer uh, in the Stanley Cup Finals. And I say San Jose brings home the cup. Wow. Huge. Huge. Um, and, <laughs> okay. I have nothing else to add. <laughs> I was waiting for your, your hockey analysis way. No, I'm like the worst Canadian ever. <laughs> uh, let's go to Andrew from Cape Breton. So the Miz ended up breaking the rule of four. So unless they say they will find him, this new stipulation died pretty quick. I'm trying to remember a stipulation dying quicker. I think there was a WCW pay-per-view that had Kurt Hennings' retirement match only for him to wrestle the next night. The big positive of the show was Kofi Kingston retaining the title. It does feel like they're building him up as this Bret Hart-style WWE champion. One problem with Bret, though, when he originally won it, is Bret defended the title against threats like Virgil, Papa Shango, and the Berserker. Not that Sammy is on the same level as Virgil, but he definitely should beat some top talent in the next few weeks. 
Somehow the show seemed relatively sensible, which is high praise in the past few weeks. I kind of wish they would have just dumped the SmackDown titles, but what can you do? Six out of ten. I mean, to, to be fair to Kofi, though, like we said, Way, he did beat Daniel Bryan on Raw and AJ Styles as well tonight. So those are those are top guys. I feel absolutely. You know, I feel like um, a champion needs kind of a run over, you know, the likes of like a Berserker and Papa Shango and Virgil in order to kind of really establish him before your your main challengers. Um, and I wouldn't hate that if Kofi Kingston does end up having, you know, a TV title match every single week against anybody on the roster. It only serves to showcase Kofi and Again, it does diminish perhaps, you know, the, the, the value of, of a championship if everybody gets them. Um, but I think also with the money in the bank, it offers like a really interesting device, though, because you can have the money in the bank winner tease after every single Kofi Kingston TV defense that something might happen. Yeah. I, I don't dislike it. Um, ideally, this is something that you would do with the IC or US title, but... This is, I mean, essentially, like, the SmackDown title has become the IC title at this point. And, and I think it works with a guy like Kofi because the story is he wasn't somebody that was supposed to win it in the first place. So every time he defends it, you know, there, there's, there's a legitimate chance he could lose it. So I think those matches become more intriguing than, say, you know, somebody like a Roman Reigns having a title match every week where you know he's not going to lose. Mm-hmm. Johnny has an impact question for Nate. If you have time. Yes, we do have time. What did you make of Michael Elgin's first full week on Impact this past week? Great addition, I think. Uh, Nate, first of all, did you did you catch uh, Michael Elgin's uh, appearance on Impact this week? I did. And I think, like John and I talked about on the Rebellion uh, post-show, I think he's a great signing for the company. You know, uh, the issue that I have with Elgin is in a feud with Brian Cage, He's going to have to be the guy doing the heavy lifting on the mic, and I don't know if he's that guy. But in ring, those two should work really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, let me take this one, Nate, from Ventac from Mumbai, who says, It seems like WWE can't follow their brand new rule even the day after it was created. AJ stated that four superstars were allowed to cross brands each week, but we had five with AJ, Sammy, Miz, and the Usos. What would KO have done if Sammy or AJ won the title? Why the hell are the Usos booked to be like assholes on Raw and yet a serious tag team on SmackDown? Continuity issues galore. I'm starting to like this deluded side of Shane. The tease of the B-team joining back with Miz was there, but that didn't go anywhere. I agree with Brandon from Oshawa about Shane reforming the corporation. The main event was really good and makes Kofi look strong heading into Money in the Bank. I feel bad for Sammy, but I guess you couldn't have the champion or the contender for the Universal Championship take the fall. Overall, a much better show than Raw, but it didn't have to do a lot to get there. 6 out of 10 for me. And that concludes our review of SmackDown this week. And Nate Milton, um, I want to thank you so much for doing such a great job uh, filling in for John Pollock's shoes, who returns tomorrow um, on the double shot. But uh, once again, for people who want to hear more of Nate Milton in all his forms, where can they find him? Yes, as, as I hand way back my wild card uh, so I can return back to the Kings of Sport. Uh <laughs> You can check me out on Twitter at in the number eight M O Z A I K at Nate Mosaic on Twitter, uh, where I talk about politics, superhero stuff, sports, pop culture, uh, wrestling from time to time. You can check me out there. I'm on the Kings of Sport with Marcus Vanderberg, uh, which is a sports and pop culture podcast, which has been around for uh, five or six years now at this point. And 
This week, we're going to be talking about the Kentucky Derby that I got tricked into watching, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, we're going to touch on the uh, Leo Rush situation uh, that's kind of popped up the last week or so in the WWE and kind of talk about that. And we're going to talk about the NBA playoffs. So that's the Kings of Sport. You can find that uh, on any of your podcast catchers as well as patreon.com backslash the Kings of Sport. And, of course, you can catch me here on the Post Wrestling Network on the Rocky Maivia Picture Show. And the review we have coming up for this month is Doom. So uh, I, I wish, as I said to John, I wish this were a documentary uh, that Damian Abraham produced about Ron Simmons and Butch Reed, but unfortunately it's not. It's uh, the video game to movie adaptation from 2005 <laughs> featuring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. So, uh, yeah, pray for me. <laughs> All right, so for Nate Milton, for Damian Abraham, for myself, and for John Pollock and everybody at Post Wrestling, thank you for joining us. We will be back tomorrow. Goodbye.